Recruiting providers is a constant challenge for rural hospitals. Rural providers often have to be paid more to be attracted to work in rural communities, but even that may not be enough to get them to live in those same communities. And it's that much easier for them to walk away after a few years, causing the hospital to start the cycle all over again. So, how do rural hospitals attract and keep providers that will plant roots and invest in their communities? With technological advancement, innovative educational programs, and a cultivation of local talent. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 37 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So today we're talking about the challenges that rural hospitals have and that our respective communities face when recruiting physicians, nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, and other providers to their respective communities. Um, We've certainly experienced this here in Hillsdale, uh, and we know that our peers around the country uh, face this issue as well. I have numerous conversations with my peers, not only in Michigan, but from across the United States uh, in those rural communities that are struggling right now. Uh, and obviously, we'll talk about it later today, but you know, COVID-19 didn't help this uh, in, in mobility. So I'm excited uh, as we look at this program today, Rachel. Yes. And today we are talking with a healthcare educator who has crafted an innovative program specifically designed to tackle those key obstacles to provider recruitment, getting them there and then keeping them there. Um, And she's even garnered some federal funding to support this program. Oh, I'm excited to hear about that. All right. Well, our guest today is Nicole Ruhana. She's a Ph.D., and director at Binghamton University, uh, and she's the director of graduate nursing and assistant professor at the Decker School of Nursing, uh, and that is in Binghamton, New York. Welcome to Rural Health Rising, Nicole. Thank you. It's great to be here. Nicole, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the Decker School of Nursing at Binghamton? Sure. Um, Currently, I serve as the director of the Graduate Nursing Education Program here at Binghamton University, and we are part of the State University of New York educational system. Um, After my initial nursing education back in 1976, I worked in pediatrics for about 10 years, and then I became a nurse midwife. Um, My midwifery practice was located in central Pennsylvania, and for many years there, I cared for rural families, some Amish families, and they were really primarily involved in agriculture and farming practices. Um, For 10 of those years, I was the only obstetrical provider in our county, so I really, I loved becoming part of that community, uh, learning about the families, watching their children grow up, and really being rooted in that community and being a healthcare provider there. Um, With some of my families completing their reproductive times in their life, some of the women were developing some minor, you know, uh, medical problems, some hypertension, prediabetes, and I realized that in order to continue to care for them, I would need to expand my role. So I became a family nurse practitioner so that I could then take care of the babies in the family, do immunizations and well, ba- well baby visits up to a year, take care of all members of the family, you know, the, the husbands, the partners, the school exams and all of that. So it kind of evolved to a larger scope of practice. 
Um, our School of Nursing has just celebrated our 50th anniversary here. We offer a family nurse practitioner program, a community health nurse practitioner program, psychiatric and adult Jerry primary care nurse practitioner programs. Because we are in the rural part of the state, um, our PhD program focuses on rural and vulnerable populations. So all of the research that comes out of our school really addresses the challenges that are related to rural and care, caring for rural and vulnerable populations. Um, I completed my PhD program here in 2011, and I studied rural parents' knowledge and attitudes about HPV vaccines and how they made the decision to vaccinate their son or not against human papillomavirus. Um, so although I'm no longer delivering babies in my career, <laughs> um, I look at my uh, shepherding of these students through their nurse practitioner program is another way of you know, helping to deliver a good quality project at the end of at the end of their cycle. So very similar. Nicole, what a remarkable career. Mm -hmm. My goodness. And you can't get too much more rural than you do in Pennsylvania taking care of Amish families. My goodness, that that's quite the it's almost a, a ministry. Uh, as we consider it here, even in Hillsdale County, uh, when we look at the needs here. So a lot of similarities. Um, so great, great to hear about your passion. Um, but one of the things that we ask all of our guests is we always start with the why. And so we do this on every episode. So we get to know our guests just a little bit more. So Nicole, what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? You know, I truly believe that every skill that we have, that we are given um, has to be applied and really help ourselves to make life better for other people. If we don't use that skill, it's a real sin. And I think we're given these God-given talents and, and skills that we have to just put to use every day. So I'm excited to come to work because as a state school, I believe that education, particularly advanced practice nursing education, should be available to every registered nurse who wants to add on that skill of advanced practice nursing. And if you are looking at a private education, that can be 40 or $60,000 a year for a four-year training. Um, so because we're a state school, I think that we can offer that education to everybody who's interested in it. And that's not to say that everybody is going to be successful, but we want to give that opportunity to everybody who is willing to put in that extra work and training to make that happen. Um, the most rewarding thing for me is seeing our graduates when they're actually out in their little rural sites doing primary care. Within a couple of years, they're able to precept more students and I can send a student to them and they'll, they'll be able to carry that tradition on and move that, take that skill and move it forward into the next generation. So I think that's very rewarding to be able to actually see our graduates out there doing what we train them to do. Well, that is a fantastic why. Well, and that takes us perfectly into our uh, interview section here because I want to hear a little bit more about the program itself. So it's pretty innovative in terms of the approach because it's addressing that provider shortage in rural communities and you have found a funding source to help support it, right? 
Correct. So um, we were awarded a $1.2 million HRSA grant, and HRSA wow. is Health Resources Administration. And um, this was a grant that looked at three different goals. The first goal was to support advanced practice nursing education. So let's pay the tuition on these applicants so that they don't have to work full time during their program and they really can be devoted to their success in the program. The second was to be able to train nurse practitioners to be readily available to provide those telehealth services when they graduate. That's really important because it's a, a wave of the future is to be able to really offer those telehealth services um, as a new graduate. And lastly, we wanted to be able to support our preceptors who were out there supervising these clinical experiences of our students and be able to recognize them and support them in their really important role. Because I couldn't do what I do without those nurse practitioners in the field willing to supervise these visits. Our students get specialized training, so we revised our curriculum to provide one course in rural sociology so that our students learn about the social demographics of health and why rural people choose to make the choices that they do about their, about their health status and their choices, their health behaviors. And then um, also we give them a specialized course in telehealth. So they actually do a rural telehealth training course, and we're lucky to have a rural simulation, a rural telehealth simulation lab here. So our students get to actually work with the telehealth equipment and do some actual telehealth visits because we want them to feel comfortable with the telehealth equipment, but we also want them to carry on that art and science of nursing so that they don't get overwhelmed with the equipment, but they can still feel some compassion and connect with the patient as a nurse, as a nurse practitioner rather than just focusing on that high-tech equipment. The way we make this happen is we identify registered nurses who have applied to our program and we match them up with a rural healthcare organization in their geographical area. Um, we then place them in this healthcare organization so that they complete 660 clinical hours in that healthcare organization under direct supervision of the preceptors. And they do their training in that rural setting so that they receive an immersive rural experience for their training. So, that that's amazing, and I tell you what to 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 quote you, uh, God given gifts that are being applied. I don't think there's any better opportunity to apply these type of gifts to our rural communities. And I will tell you that in Hillsdale, for example, you know, n nurse midwives, you know, we think about that program mm -hmm. really is the backbone and sustainability of our obstetrics program at right. times. You know, they support the the OBGYN. Uh, they provide those services or doing deliveries. Uh, they're engaged in the care of those mothers. And it's just phenomenal to see this. So it's so encouraging to hear about the great opportunity on a financial basis to support those who are interested in applying for this type of program who can devote their time to training. Because, Rachel, you and I both know in many of the programs we've offered, we require the employee to work full-time and mm -hmm. to go to school full-time. And it takes 
forever. And the success of them is really hampered because, you know, they're working long hours, they're taking care of families. I'm excited about this. And so, you know, speaking of all that, how did this come about? I mean, who came up with the idea? You know, it's so brilliant uh, and makes so much sense because it really addresses the challenges uh, of providers and and the need for recruitment of providers in rural America. Right. So you bring up some great points, JJ. And, um, you know, we, we creatively came up with this idea because if you live and work in a rural setting, you already know what those challenges and barriers are. So when we look at New York State, there's 57 counties and 27 of them are rural or medically underserved. We in New York State are also faced with what's known as brain drain. So we have a younger population leaving central New York for better employment opportunities, Mm -hmm. which is leaving us with a sicker and more chronically ill, Mm -hmm. more elderly population that we are that we are responsible to care for Um, within that same realm you know that the average healthcare organization will spend thousands of dollars recruiting and trying to retain a healthcare provider in their system. Sure. Sure. And it takes about two years for a primary care provider to build up a big enough panel where it's going to be financially compatible for both the organization and the provider. And at the end of those two years, if they're not happy, they're going to leave. So all of the money and time and effort that was spent on boarding them really you know, goes out the window. So we came up with the idea of let's use a grow your own model. So let's identify these students that are living and working in a rural area that want to add on that advanced practice piece to their profession. Once we can identify them, we want to keep them in their setting. So the beauty of this model is um, these nurses are known entities to their community, right? They're already known as professionals. They're respected in that community. And you know that nurses are many times Um, designated the most trusted profession. So they're already there. They're walking the walk. They're talking the talk. Let's support them. So our grant is able to pay all of their tuition. We give them clinical equipment to be able to go out and do their, um, their clinical training. Every student gets a Dell laptop computer. We give them a $500 book stipend. Um, We pay for their national certification exam review because we want to make sure that they're successful at the end of our program. So you're exactly right. It removes some of that financial burden of how am I going to pay for tuition? How am I going to pay for my books? I need a really good Littman cardiac stethoscope. I can't afford all this. So we're giving them all that, telling them all you have to do is be a good student, maintain that 3.0 GPA and go work in this rural designated area during your clinical so that you're comfortable and you know the community. You know what it's like to work with providers side by side that are caring for these disadvantaged rural populations. At the same time, in New York State, we are preparing for what we know is the silver tsunami. So we have a lot of baby boomers that are now going to be hitting these healthcare systems. So we're not quite there yet, but the average baby boomer is going to be developing those chronic diseases and needing more care um, right as we come up on the shortage of primary care providers in these rural areas. So we wanted to be part of that solution. 
So I'm assuming this is a very competitive process for someone to make application. How is a program, you know, how has it been received by those applicants? Obviously, you've had probably a, a wide range of individuals applying for the scholarships. We, we certainly do. So part of um, our, the other goal of our grant that I haven't spoken about was seeding some of our community partners with telehealth equipment so that we could continue to promote rural telehealth. Um, so we have developed an organization known as RETEC, Rural Telehealth Educational Consortium. And we have our, we have a group of collaborative community partners. So we've got 44 partners in central New York and we work closely with them and they're our partners. So we let them know about this opportunity and they will help us identify qualified candidates that would, could apply to our program. We go through the application program of the state university system, but then we also have an advisory board that we've developed that is comprised of nurse practitioners, administrators, and members from RETEC so that we can really pick um, students that we know are committed to serving in that rural health community, and we know that they want to stay there. So they're not looking to move to an urban center when they graduate. They're already in these rural communities. They want to stay there. They raise their families there. They have roots. And as you know, with rural, with rural people, the land is very important to them. They're wedded to their land. They've been a generation member of this land. So they're there to stay. They want to stay. So hopefully they'll become uh, a healthcare provider that's there for the long term. And what I think is so cool about this, it reminds me of some of the things we've done here, JJ, mm-hmm. um, even with physicians as well, not even just nursing. Um, But Nicole, this really is creating a shift for some of these rural healthcare providers or organizations, because instead of recruit, 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 it's cultivate, right? It's a totally different approach, I think. Absolutely. That's why we call it a grow your own model. You know, you know, we said, let's work with the resources that we have, which is nursing workforce. And let's bring that nursing workforce up to their highest scope of practice so that they can stay in those communities rather than trying to bring outsiders in that doesn't always necessarily equate to long term employment. Right. You know, Nicole, COVID-19 brought about a new way at looking at delivering healthcare services and a new model called, uh, not a new model, but a model called telehealth. And telehealth means many things to many people and has several definitions if you were to ask specific people. Um, But, you know, we engage in telehealth here uh, as an important aspect of seeing our patients who could not come in to the clinics. We we utilize telehealth uh, for such things as emergency department, for telestroke and teleneurology, very important components to providing care in rural communities. So with that, you said earlier that there is a telehealth component, you know, to your program. And I was, I was intrigued to hear that there's a simulator or something. I'd like to know a little bit more about this because, you know, the, the term, as I said, uh, telehealth can mean many things to many people. So what is your specific piece Uh, of telehealth for your program really focused on? And how does that play out in rural communities for that uh, connectivity that can be a problem? Because we find that to be an issue as well in those remote areas. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. We are lucky that I have a, um, one of my partners, Dr. Ann Franzek, 
is really focused on the development of education of healthcare providers related to telehealth. So, you know, for the last 10 years, everybody's been jumping on the telehealth bandwagon. Mm -hmm. So we saw a lot of organizations purchase thousands of dollars of telehealth (laughs) equipment. But then when it got into their system, they didn't know what to do with it. The staff didn't know how to implement it. So it's unfortunate to say that there was many years where the telehealth equipment got shoved in the closet because people just didn't know what to do with it. So Anne has a telehealth simulated lab here in our School of Nursing, and we have mobile telehealth carts here in our School of Nursing. And with our retech partners that are out there in the community, we can do some simulated experience. So we teach the students how to use the high fidelity stethoscope, how to use the camera, how to use the ultrasound wand, how to look, how to do a dermatology visit, right? So let's do a derm visit, beam this out to our dermatology practice so they can tell us this needs to be biopsied or not. You can keep them in your practice or you can send them in. So that's fun because we get to draw in our retech community partners, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we also let the students play in the simulation lab to see what it's really like um, to use the equipment on on an individual who might be 40 miles away. So that's a fun time for the students to get to become a little more comfortable with the technology and at the same time orienting them to what this is going to look like when you're out in the field. And, you know, when we look at population health, um, telehealth has its greatest impact in addressing those gaps in rural health, especially when we look at timely access to specialty care. It might take two or three weeks for an individual to get that cardiology visit. But if we can do that from the primary care office, we Mm -hmm. save the trip, the money, the travel. Um, We reduce those transportation issues and the time away from work. You know, many times our patients in rural health are in minimum wage jobs where they can't just take the day off to go see, you know, they can't devote a whole day off for travel and lose that time in their employment. So if we can condense that to a telehealth visit, um, that's going to save us time and the patient time away from their family and their job. And that's a really important piece of our of our component. Broadband, broadband capacity is always an issue, you know, which you spoke about. But we're lucky here in New York State because when COVID hit, a lot of the regulations were set aside for that one year so we could promote telehealth. And that really took off like a, like wildfire. Um, You know, there were a lot of federal and state governments um, that were able to get those extra subsidies so that they could get that broadband at a reduced cost to be able to really do that COVID telehealth um, care. So it moved it, it moved the whole agenda forward in New York State for us, which was not great that we experienced such high rates of COVID, but it did move forward the telehealth agenda. Well, you know, the telehealth agenda and the, and the telehealth mechanisms, you know, is very important, in my opinion, to your curriculum and teaching, uh, you know, nurse practitioners and midwives and, uh, you know, physicians assistants, uh, the rural community, because I, I will tell you right now in Hillsdale County, uh, we depend heavily on those relationships with our partners in tertiary larger centers that are maybe an hour, two, three hours away, that transportation being an issue in rural communities, our our community 
we have no public transportation. We have a, a, a system in the city that operates during normal business hours only for the city. The county is left with no transportation options whatsoever. And so access becomes an issue. So, you know, the technology piece that you're teaching right now at the university is critical because your individuals coming out of this program are going to be touching lives through technology whether they think they're they are or not they will be when they reach rural america because i'm going to tell you there's not a day that goes by in our facility that we're either not doing televisits for primary care or we're not opening up our emergency department for that tele you know, extra health visit, which is going to be teleneurology, you know, and all of those services that we're offering. Right now, uh, we're launching a new program looking at teleneurology. So a lot of focus on telehealth. And I, I want to commend you uh, because a lot of people right now, and in, in even in the circles I travel with in, in the CEO circle, think that telehealth is, is going to go away again. Telehealth in rural America cannot go away. It is the backbone that's going to sustain rural America uh, in these rural hospitals because while we're independent, we're interdependent is what we often say on this program because we need to depend upon those larger facilities that can offer the intensivist, you know, that specialty care that we simply can't give. And you and I both know uh, as a nurse yourself that if a patient presents with stroke-like conditions, stroke-like conditions, and has any type of comorbidities and is very, very ill and sick, every second counts. You've got to get that individual hooked up on the monitor. You have to get them in front of that intensivist. You have to start the TPA. All of those things can be done utilizing technology. So I'm excited to hear that your program incorporates that, and I want to commend you and encourage you to continue that because we see that as our survival in rural America. Absolutely. Um, uh, just a couple examples. One of our one of our graduates that actually graduated from our first cohort of the program is in a very small rural town in Pennsylvania, and she was able to purchase her father's family practice office. He had been in, in family practice for years and was ready to retire, so she purchased the practice from her father and because she had graduated with these telehealth skills we said let us give you some equipment so you have it in the office and you're ready to play around with it whenever the opportunity arises about four months later covid hit and she was able at that point to convert 50 percent of her visits over to telehealth in these in these rural mountains of pennsylvania and she was able to maintain that practice. She has since then hired another nurse practitioner and is hiring one of our psychiatric nurse practitioners so she can add on the psychiatric piece. Another area where we provided some telehealth service in exchange for precepting our students is a veteran's home here. It's about an hour away. It's known as the Oxford Veterans Home. So we've given them two telehealth mobile carts and they'll be using that for their residents to be able to determine with their local hospital, does this patient really need to come in tonight for an evaluation? Or can the ER physician just evaluate this patient using our telehealth equipment? And that's so much less disruptive for a veteran that could just stay in bed at that night and get a telehealth evaluation Fantastic. rather than transferring them into the hospital. So again, it's the training piece that's really critical so it's the nurse practitioner workforce and that mm -hmm. training piece 
piece that's really going to be able to make this a sustainable model moving down the road. The other thing I think, like JJ mentioned, is that telehealth is going to be part of the sustainability of rural health long term. And something we talk about often around here is, you know, we take care of our own and our rural communities. And oftentimes the way we do that is we bring specialty care to our patients instead of them having to go seek it out when it's not something that we can provide ourselves. Um, and this is a, a way to do that. And it can be taken a step further to it's even in their home, taking it to their home um, if needed, depending on how those programs are set up, like you just mentioned with the veterans home. So it's really an extension of that. But like JJ said, it's going to be key to the long term sustainability of rural hospitals. You know, uh, if we have educators listening today, uh, healthcare systems that are maybe teaching hospitals, uh, and just individuals that are interested in maybe re- replicating this model. Uh, Nicole, what would you say to them how they could start this process? I think the most critical factor here is knowing who your collaborative community partners are um, and developing working relationships. So for us, academia is no longer in that ivory tower. We are in the community. We are practicing interprofessional education. We are working hand in hand with our healthcare organizations, right? Because it's a symbiotic relationship. I can't educate nurse practitioners unless I know that I have committed individuals in the field that is going to provide them with the clinical experiences that they need. And they won't have enough workforce unless we continue to really be committed to educating these advanced practice nurses. So one hand washes the other in this instance. You know, I'm giving them qualified workforce and in turn, they're giving me the clinical experiences that I need. So I think really let's all play hands Let's all hold hands and play nice in the sandbox and really serve one another in terms of the community effectiveness and and, and from that educational standpoint. So when we applied for this grant, we already had about five community partners that we were working really closely with, but we wanted to be able to formalize that and recognize that. So they were our, um, they were our, supporters in this grant. So when we applied for the grant, they said, yeah, we're already doing this. We're helping to educate their students. So let's formalize this. So it really worked very well to reach out to our community partners. So I would say if other educational programs are interested in this, reach out to your community partners and see if there's some creative way that you can work together to address the needs in your community because every community has its own unique needs. And we know that rural health communities have those extra barriers and challenges. Um, So reach out to your community partners, but then also look for that external funding. Um, You know, the Health Resources Administration already knows what the challenges are, and they have lots of different grants that are available looking for how can we support diversity in higher education? How can we support telehealth in higher education? How can we promote advanced practice nursing using these federal dollars? So the HRSA, it's HRSA.gov. Um, they offer a lot of great innovative grants um, that are out there. You just have to really look at those grants and see if you have any of them that match 
your program, your academic programs, and um, and work together with your community partners. Very exciting. So we can't survive without each other. You know, healthcare is changing; it's community based. We have to be out there in the community, and I think that presence is going to really serve us all as we continue to move forward. Well, I fully agree with you, and I can't thank you enough for being part of our program today. But I, I really want to thank you for truly using your God-given gifts at your university and to put a program in place like this that I'm going to submit to you is going to save lives in the future. Because anytime that we can provide these practitioners into rural communities that can diagnose early, early detection, early prevention, uh, that can can identify you know illnesses and, and comorbidities, truly can save lives in our rural communities. And so I want to thank you for the work that you're doing uh, in a rural community uh, in New York and probably no different than some of the challenges that we face here in rural Hillsdale County that our listeners in rural communities across the United States face. And so this is a program that gives me great inspiration. So thank you for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight. And now for our favorite part of the show, the voice of the patient. It came that time of year when every woman dreads and, you know, they have to get, as my grandmother said, their boobs smushed in a vice grip. And so, of course, I was dreading it. But I heard that Hillsdale Hospital had a new mammogram machine. So I went there and got registered, of course, and then went into a very quiet environment, very calm environment. The mammogram tech was amazing. She is calm. She is professional. Everybody in the community knows about Bonnie. Um, she is, she's been a mammogram tech for so many years. She's been through all of the different processes, and everybody knows medical, medical equipment gets better and better as we go throughout our life. And um, she's been through all those changes, and she knows exactly what's happening. She also knows how to make the patient feel so comfortable. She's not intimidating. She is very kind, and she's such a pleasant person to work with. So um, we went about the test, and the new mammogram machine, it is true. It is not a vice grip. It is so much more comfortable than they used to be, and I really appreciated that. Test was over within minutes and got dressed and went about my merry way. So very, very pleasant experience for something that is usually not so pleasant. The hospital employees here are different in that everyone here seems to like their job. They enjoy what they're doing, and that shows. It really shows as, as you go about your day with the patients. And you can, you can tell that they're pleasant to people because they are enjoying what they do. What a great story to be able to share and to keep us focused on the most important thing, which is our patients and ultimately the reason that we do this podcast and do the work that we do in healthcare. Now, Nicole, before we close today, we do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Well, that, that's very funny, and it brings back fond memories that you should ask that. Um, in 1994, we had a big blizzard here, and I'm sure you guys have the same type of blizzards in Michigan that oh, are, yes. stop everything. And I was a nurse midwife, and I was on call that weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. 
So uh, I wanted to be in the hospital and centered and locked and loaded because I knew once I got in there, I was not leaving for the entire weekend. So I went in early Friday morning watching the weather report, you know, the blizzards coming in. And I wanted to be there because I figured, you know, where I have to be there, I'm on call. There's going to be women, women coming in in labor. And I don't want to have to deal with traveling through the weather to get there. As it turned out, we had over 36 inches of snow. It was a nor'easter that came up the coast, um, 60 mile an hour winds, and it turned into a state of emergency. Um, the, uh, the labor and delivery unit was on ninth floor. And all I did that weekend was shuttle nurses back and forth to come into the hospital oh. because we, it, the weather was so bad, we could not get any laboring patients into our hospital. They all ended up going to other places. Oh. Wow. So I, at three o'clock, I would go get the nurses on the evening shift because, as you know, in a rural area, when you're a midwife, you always drive a four-wheel drive oh, yeah. vehicle. So Absolutely. every shift, I'd go out and get the nurses and bring them in for their shift, take them home at 11 o'clock and bring in the night nurses and do the same thing. And when I drove home Monday morning, there was one lane on the highway for me to get home with, but they have li lifted the state of emergency. Mm. So I didn't get to deliver any babies, but it was a fun weekend anyway. Well, I think the phrase there is whatever it takes. Right. And uh, certainly in rural America, uh, it takes sometimes getting in your four by four and picking up nurses so they can cover the shifts. So great to be with you again here today, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with a great guest, so be sure to tune in. As a reminder, we are collecting patient testimonials to be featured during our Voice of the Patient segment. If you have an experience to share about the positive impact you or your loved one has had as a patient at a rural hospital or healthcare provider, call our direct voicemail line at 269-447-1265 or email marketing at hillsdalehospital.com and share your story with us. You just might be featured on a future episode. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. You can also find us now on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rachel Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Nicole Ruhana, Director of Graduate Nursing and Assistant Professor at the Decker School of Nursing at Binghamton University in Binghamton, New York. For more interviews like this and more information or to share your patient or family testimonial with us, visit RuralHealthRising.com.